there are those who deny that systemic racism exists in this country. Even in these days of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and a list of other unarmed black Americans shot dead by police officers. These denials clash with the cries of Black Lives Matter and days of protest with sorrow and rage intermingled. It only takes looking at housing patterns in this country to realize that the impact of long-term systemic racism is very real in this country. We had centuries of slavery, followed by a century of lawful segregation and disparate impact of federal and state laws on black people. It was only in the 1950s and 60s that these then lawful discriminatory practices were outlawed. The military, which is the greatest equalizing institution in our nation, was not desegregated until 1948, when President Truman issued an executive order to end the practice. It took until 1954 for the last segregated unit to disappear. The same year, Brown v. Board of Education was decided, ending legal school segregation. We, of course, still have school segregation. It's just that now it's de facto rather than de jure. De jure meaning by law. It wasn't until the 1960s, during the Johnson administration, that the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and the Fair Housing Act were adopted in an attempt to honor the concepts of equal rights for all, regardless of race, color, national origin, or religion. Even though the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1948 in Shelley v. Kramer, a St. Louis case, that racially restrictive housing covenants were not enforceable, the court did not rule the covenants themselves illegal. Thus, the covenants continued to be used in real estate deeds and subdivision agreements until the late 1960s. I well recall my parents purchasing the only new home they ever owned, a three-bedroom, single-bath, tracked ranch house in Champaign, Illinois, in 1957. The house was in a new subdivision on the southwest side of Champaign, a couple of miles west of the University of Illinois, and surrounded by cornfields. One of the selling points the development salesman made to my parents was, you don't have to worry about property values here, because the subdivision agreement has a clause that says Negroes can't buy here. This statement took place in Illinois, the state that proudly bears land of Lincoln on its license plates. The statement took place nearly a hundred years after the Civil War. The statement took place nearly a decade after the Supreme Court in Shelley v. Kramer ruled that racially restrictive covenants were unenforceable. I don't know that that part of the sales pitch had any bearing on my parents' decision to buy that house. My father strongly believed in racial equality and proved that when he served blacks in his little bakery in central Florida a few years later, while the gas station next door to his shop still displayed a crudely hand-lettered sign above the water fountain saying, Whites only. But the covenant may well have been an inducement to some whites to buy in the new subdivision. Because all the surrounding subdivisions had similar covenants, Cary Busey Elementary School, the school that opened that fall of 1957 to educate baby boom children of returning veterans, was lily white. Although Champaign had a significant number of black citizens, they were confined to living on the north side. Even though the University of Illinois flagship campus, one of the nation's preeminent public universities, 
is located in Champaign-Urbana, it did little to racially diversify the city. The University of Illinois, even 10 years later in 1967, the year I entered as a freshman, had but 367 black students out of 30,000. Although Illinois did not have the formally segregated public higher institution system that many states had prior to the 1960s, most black students who attended public universities went to less prestigious regional state universities rather than the University of Illinois, which made it more difficult for them to enter top-flight graduate or professional degree programs. Even though legislation and court decisions have outlawed government and corporate discriminatory practices for a generation, the societal structures that arose from those laws and practices are still largely in place. Witness the housing patterns, and thereby the educational patterns, at least through high school, that still exist in cities large and small. Systemic racism, in spite of what many white Americans believe, or want to believe, about themselves and our system, still exists. Once we, white Americans, recognize it, we can do our part to change it. Just as fish don't realize they're swimming in water, we white Americans don't realize we're swimming in a society with built-in systemic racism. If you do not see a problem or believe a problem exists, you cannot change it. It is only with the acknowledgement that there is, in fact, a problem can we fix it. The fact that today 80% of Americans, white and black, believe that blacks are not treated equally by police is evidence that Americans are beginning to acknowledge that there is still a problem and we can begin to fix it. In this moment, with the names of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor ringing in the air, there is hope. <laughs>